Hello film fans and welcome to episode 2, season 1 of the Lover of Films podcast with me, your host, JT. This week we're going to be reviewing three films, Escape from Pretoria starring Daniel Radcliffe, horror reboot Wrong Turn and period drama The World to Come. So Escape from Pretoria then, it's directed by Francis Annan and uh, stars Daniel Radcliffe and Daniel Webber as a pair of political activists who are sentenced to jail for spreading anti-apartheid propaganda and who plan and execute a daring prison break. Now what makes this film even more brilliant is that it is based on a true story, which, if I hadn't realised it beforehand, I would have never believed it. Here's a clip. Are you packing? You can tell by the way you run, you've got at least a bottle of beer and some glasses up there. Oh. Cigar tubes, 360 rand. Expensive tastes. Let me give you the guided tour. In case you're wondering, it's 20 foot high. Bob wires flails so it traps right under your skin. Searchlights, on from sundown to sunrise, covers every inch of the yard. Bores with guns. From lock up till dawn, there's nothing they'd like more than to pump holes into you. And tunnels in any direction, they just lead you back onto prison property. Apart from that wall, Lines of public street. I knew a chap one time. No matter how hard he tried, he couldn't get his money out. The whole thing got infected. The point I'm making is everybody comes in here, they're going, they're going to break out of here by next week. We are prisoners of conscience. So it's different for us. Well, we're prisoners of war. All the same, I've got the hiding place. I'll keep it safe for you. Get it out before it rots you inside. So some friendly advice there on how to remove a cigar tube from your arse. Um, and uh, that's not the most painful of Daniel Radcliffe's problems. He has to work out how they're going to escape, not using one of the methods discussed. So they can't cut through bars, they can't dig a tunnel under the wall, and they can't climb over it. So they have to come up with another plan, and this is the most unbelievable way of escaping a prison. They make the keys. But they don't make the keys out of metal, they make them out of wood. Um, and again, if I hadn't realised that this was a true story, I would never have believed it. But they do. They have to make these keys out of wood. They have no way of getting hold of these keys, so they make the keys, or Daniel Radcliffe, in, in fact, makes the keys based on sight. So he has to look at the guards who carry the keys um, at, at waist level when they're having dinner or when they're having lunch, and he memorises the key, its look, its shape, its size, and then draws it and makes it out of wood um, stolen from the, um, from the workshop. It is unbelievably amazing that this is that this that this actually happened it, it really is amazing and it just adds to the to the tension of the film um uh, which in some parts is, is is absolutely brilliant i mean i i genuinely found myself holding my breath um you know when they're trying to 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 plan their escape um and and that is the that's the sign of a, of a great thriller um it's just it's simple and effective I've never been a massive fan of Daniel Radcliffe, but I think over the years 
he's shaken off the Harry Potter mantle well, and here playing Tim Jenkin, it's an assured and convincing performance. This is a man that had no fear going into prison, and along with his accomplice Stephen Lee, they pretty much planned to escape from the moment their cell door slammed, slammed shut behind them. The supporting cast is okay, but the backstories aren't really explored in detail. French prisoner and the third member of the escape party, Leonard Fontaine, played by Mark Leonard Winter, has been inside for quite some time and is desperate to escape uh, and reconnect with his family, who he only sees from behind the visitor glass uh, when his young son comes to, comes, comes to see him. The two main prison guards, Schnepple and Mongo, which sounds like some kind of comedic double act, aren't anywhere near as vicious as Shawshank's Warden Norton or Captain Handley, for example, which will still be, by the way, the greatest prison escape film of all time. Both do have a distinct hatred for the black race, and that's conveyed through the brutality and their disgust at how the white man can fight for these people, who were pretty much treated like dogs in the street. A lot of the deep political narrative is dropped in favour of the tension that comes with trying to escape a prison. Remember, this is a thriller, not really a drama in that sense of the word. It's a solid film with some incredibly tense moments, and built by the fact that it's a true story only further adds to the film's credibility. Escape from Pretoria is currently streaming on Amazon Prime, and whether you're a fan of Daniel Radcliffe or not, it's a must-watch. Okay, next up we're looking at Wrong Turn, a reboot to the 2003 original, which since the first film has spawned five additional sequels. Wrong Turn 2, Dead End, Wrong Turn 3, Left 4 Dead, Wrong Turn 4, Bloody Beginnings, you get the idea. Writer of those films, with the exception of the sixth instalment, Alan B. McElroy, has decided to reboot the original, as if there was ever a need to. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm a huge fan of horror, but it gets to the point where originality just goes right out the window. Wrong Turn 2021 is no different. In this one, a group of college students, now there's a surprise, head out for a hike through the Appalachian Mountains when they're told not to leave the trail. And what do they do? They leave the trail, where they encounter a community called The Foundation, who get a little pissed off when people wander unexpectedly into their territory. Here's a clip. What is that? So that was the sound of a giant log careering down through the forest towards the group, and to be honest it doesn't get much better for them after that. Initially they have arrived in this quiet sleepy town full of excitement at the prospect of hiking the Appalachian Trail, but it's not long before they are rubbing the local hicks up the wrong way, and when they encounter some of them in a bar, they are given a stern warning not only from them, but also from the hotel owner where they are staying, that the land off the trail is very unforgiving. As is expected in these type of horror films, that those warnings are ignored completely and they decide to venture off the trail in search of an old Civil War fort. Now, meanwhile, Jen's father, played by 
Matthew Modine has been searching for his daughter for weeks, having not heard from her, and he too arrives in the town looking for answers, but gets no help other than more warnings about the deep forest. Now, my problem with the film is this. What starts out as a run-of-the-mill slasher fest suddenly turns into The Wicker Man versus Midsummer. Now, for those that haven't seen that film, it's about a Nordic community who have a very particular way of life, and when a group of college kids arrive, things turn out to be a lot more sinister. In this, we learn more about the community called The Foundation, as well as what their motives are for living so remotely, and their reasoning for dispatching a brutal brand of justice. Now, this reboot has switched the, from the cannibalistic mountain men from the original film and replaced them with these people that dresses in camouflage, sporting deer skulls for masks, and who use the forest to their advantage. The scenes of horror are nasty enough, but the film is slow and poorly paced for a genre that needs to hold the attention of bloodthirsty horror fans. It is nowhere near as enjoyable as the original, and my guess is that writer Alan B. McElroy saw the success of Midsummer and figured he could repurpose his original film into something more modern. There's a small twist in the tale towards the end which is hidden well enough, but it's all a little too late, as wrong turn moves into a predictable end. If you're a fan of the franchise, then you may well enjoy this, but it has very little connection to those films other than in name. The final film for this week is called The World to Come, which is directed by Mona Fassfold and is certainly a change of pace from all the horror I've been watching recently. It stars Casey Affleck and Vanessa Kirby and focuses on two couples living the land somewhere along the mid-19th century East Coast frontier. It's a beautifully shot film that has a sombre narrative deriving from the relationships between the couples, particularly the two female leads. Here's a clip. I'm sorry that your childhood was anything less than joyous. Joyous it was not. But I made my own happinesses. My husband says, God puts heavy stones in your path. It's up to us to step over them. Stones are what the fortunate receive. My mother's mother was born in 1780, right here in Skohari County. I often wonder at the courage and resourcefulness of those women. Imagine faring forth into a wilderness, hoping to build the foundations of a home. Maybe they had a certain high hopefulness that we don't have. So the film opens with Abigail, played by Catherine Watterston, narrating her experiences of living on a farm in the late 1800s with her husband Dyer, played by Casey Affleck. The pair are coming to terms with the death of their young daughter from diphtheria, and it's clear to see that their relationship is strained and they're growing further apart. Dyer focuses all of his attention into the daily running of the farm, leaving Abigail to perform the basic household chores, tending to Dyer's needs when requested. Now another couple is then thrown into the mix who take residence in the neighbouring farm and were introduced to Tally, played by Vanessa Kirby, and her husband Finney. Abigail is drawn to Tally right away, not just from her beauty and fiery long red hair, but the fact that she has someone to talk to and the pair quickly develop a warming friendship. Now that close bond turns quickly into romance, and they begin to spend a lot more time together. And both Dyer and Finney are resentful of this, um, but Dyer seems happy that Abigail is smiling again 
albeit only when Tally comes to visit. Finney, on the other hand, um, is becoming increasingly irritated that his wife is forgetting her duties. They have a loveless relationship and there's a, clearly a wait for a child um, and that becomes a major sticking point between the two. Abigail and Tally's relationship is played out over the changing seasons, set against the backdrop of a quiet and desolate landscape, landscape in, in upstate New York. The cinematography captures the bleak and harsh realities of winter and then the lush green beauty of summer. The score is sombre and it's mixed with the sound of farm animals chiming cowbells and, and, a, and a light breeze. Both women are trying to understand their feelings that they have for each other and this turns into a burning sexual desire. Abigail finds it difficult to go even a few days without seeing Tally and becomes engrossed in her own thoughts um, which sees her neglect her duties um, as a housewife. Now, I liked how this film was paced. For someone who appreciates a good jump scare and nail-biting tension, um, this was a totally different film-watching experience for, for, for me. But I found myself deeply engrossed in a story, um, and that's credit not only to the narrative, but to the lead actors as well. So if you're a fan of the period drama, great cinematography and beautiful storytelling, then this is definitely a film for you. So there we go then, that's the end of episode two. A look into my watch list over the last seven days. And uh, we'll be back to do it all again next week. Um, so until then, see you later.